0: Open up to the book of Mark, and we are in chapter 9. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, I'm Tom. I uh, uh, have the honor of preaching the word most Sundays here uh, with Vic, and uh, I really hope to get to know you if, if, I, if I haven't yet. But we're in the series of the book of Mark, going through what we've called the the King has come. The, the kingdom is being established by the arrival of the king. And in Mark chapter uh, 8, we, we saw that we took a real turn in the story rather than uh we've stopped the the stories of jesus galilee ministry where he was going around his his hometown his uh uh, areas of the north of israel healing preaching mass miracles all that he's stopped that and now we really see a focus well there's crowds here and there we see a focus on discipleship of the disciples who had become the 12 apostles he's now uh started to teach them. And we're going to see a cycle. We saw one cycle already. We're going to see another two where Jesus teaches them very clearly, I'm going to die and rise again. That's what the Son of Man must do. And they completely misunderstand it uh, and, and and go through some kind of blunder, some kind of putting their foot in their mouth. Usually it's Peter. We'll see one from James and John soon. And Jesus uses that as an opportunity to teach them about what life in the kingdom of Jesus is like. We saw last week that Jesus Jesus told them that that far from seeking a throne and far from seeking glory on earth and praises from men and far from taking up a a sword and fighting your way to the front, what the kingdom of God would be like. But every one of the disciples of Jesus will be a lifestyle pattern like Jesus' lifestyle pattern, which was go in willing obedience to the Father to death through gore and suffering, trusting that in the future, in God's timing, at his appointed time, we'll be exalted and given glory. That's, That's the Christian lifestyle. To deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. For Jesus... It is only a matter of months now before he will be lifted up on the cross in bloodshed and in death and there purchased the souls of all of the elect. It's only a matter of months away now and Jesus is, Jesus is feeling the pressure. He's, he's realizing that he needs to get his disciples' uh, focus on what is about to happen. He needs to really intensify this training and, and he needs to tell them, what I'm going to go through is what you yourselves will go through as a matter of lifestyle pattern. That hour of his cross would be soon followed by the hour of his glory, when he'll be exalted to the throne above, where he will pour out his Holy Spirit and be worshipped by millions, hundreds of millions of angels. And therefore, Jesus' call to every disciple who would come after him is a call to die. Die to yourself. Die to your dreams. Just leave everything that you think you've built for yourself, you demand for yourself, and you call yourself, leave all of that in the grave. Climb out of it, leave it all dead and follow Jesus, for only he gives true life. But it's not the type of life we would pain for and want with our own sinful hearts. Part of the gospel is that we receive a new heart, a new heart that loves Jesus more than the glories of this world, uh, a heart that loves obedience even at the cost of suffering more than disobedience and self-obedience in our own lifestyle. The call of the gospel, as the Holy Spirit, as you hear the words of the gospel, as Jesus calls you to life, the Holy Spirit gives to you a new heart within you that will never die, and it claims and grasps fast to Jesus Christ, receives all of his salvation, and then begins the walk of life that is shaped after suffering and future glory. Let's just take a quick recap from last week by way of application to remember that any church, any ministry, any kind of preaching or message that sort of puts at the call of the gospel or is the the focus of Christian life that in any part of that if they promise that you'll become a Christian and you can then just start counting one by one Jesus meet all of your needs do you have a, a struggling troublesome marriage well Jesus will fix that just come with faith it'll be done do you have sickness and illness, and are you struggling through the, the weakness of your body? That's okay. Jesus is a healer. Come to him, get some forgiveness, and get your healing. Or if there's any promise at all of wealth and success, that is, is a demonically Satan inspired or distracted gospel preacher, ministry, and church. That's what Jesus said to Peter. Peter said, No cross, instead crown. Doesn't that sound like a good, attractive, godly gospel call? And Jesus said, you're speaking like Satan. Go away. Your mind is distracted. So any church, any gospel call that puts those promises of earthly glory, earthly enjoyment, and they mix that poison in with the call of the gospel, that is a distracted, unspirited, satanic, worldly message. But we come here to the words of Jesus, which is a call to die and live for him, dying every day in conformity to the cross. But now I'm I'm going to read this section. It's going to be chapter 9, 1 through verse 29. And it is quite a large section. I ask that you just try very hard to focus as we read this lengthy section. But what an amazing section it is. We're going to see after Jesus' call to to death and call to cross-suffering, he's then going to give us a glimpse of the glory that is to come, both for him And to all those who come after him. And then we will see him come back down the mountain to a very gory, suffering, afflicted situation yet again. Verse 1 of chapter 9 in Mark's Gospel reads like this And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter. And James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant intensely white as no one on earth could possibly bleach them and there appeared to them Elijah and Moses and they were talking with Jesus and Peter said to Jesus rabbi teacher it's good that we are here Uh, Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead so they kept this matter to themselves questioning what this rising from the dead might mean and they asked him why do the scribes say that Elijah must come and he said to them Elijah does come first to restore all things and how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt but I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. And scribes were arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cries out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. May God bless to us the hearing and exposition of his inerrant, authoritative, perfect inspired word this morning. Amen? We're going to see a a matter of things this morning. We're first going to see this, this glimpse into the glory of Jesus, which shows to us Christ's pattern of gore in life and glory in the next life. Then we're going to see God's fatherly love to his son, Jesus. And then we're going to see Christ's love to suffering sinners. To so first up, we can go and look at, at uh, verses 1 through 3 there. Uh, 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 verses one is is it could be a sermon it could be a sermon series all on its own in fact it's kind of the a, a thematic verse of the whole of the book of Mark that the kingdom of God is coming in its power and that power is through the cross Jesus had been making all throughout uh, the last part of chapter 8 there that the call to come and die we, we recap this come and die and live in obedience and live through suffering as long as you follow after Jesus but he said in verse 38, he, he, he hinted in verse 38 of chapter 8, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So that in saying that, he's hinting that, that while I'm calling you downwards, calling you to humility, I'm calling you to the grave, to die, to suffer like me, yet... I will be coming back with great glory. In fact, I'll be coming back with the glory of Yahweh the Father and all of his angels so that there will be death for you followers, but there will be glory for you also. Jesus is showing that the path of life is the cross and it is gore, but the reward is crown and glory. And that is what he calls us to. The end is shining brilliance as the Father pours out on all of his faithful servants, who he has made born again through his Son in this life, who will recreate in the future with new bodies shining forth. He promises shining brilliance and glory to every one of us. That's the example that Jesus gives. Cross-shaped life, future glory. And then look at verse 1 of chapter 9. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you that there are some standing here, not everybody, but some of you, some of you will see, you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. What Jesus is saying here is that because of his death and then because of his resurrection and because of his receiving all of the promises of the Father, where he was then ascended to heaven and sat down at the Father's right, Hand from where he sent the Holy Spirit through Pentecost. And what did he say the sending of the Spirit was? That the Spirit would come upon the disciples with power. So as the king finishes his earthly work and sits on the throne and then sends the power onto earth for his disciples to now live this cross shaped, dying, living life after Jesus, he sums that up by saying that is the kingdom coming in its power. It's not the full thing. Don't anyone go and read the the prophecies, the explanations, the last parts of Revelation and think this is it. This is the fullness of the kingdom. This is the best that God can do. That's that's not the case. The kingdom has come and is coming. That Jesus has come and become the king, been enthroned, but he is in the process of working out his kingdom in all of the ways that he has promised. But, but what we need to see, at least in this verse, Jesus' promise that power will come on some of those alive to whom he was speaking. The Pentecost, as it would fall, it would give those people the power to do the very impossible thing he just called them to do. The power to deny yourself will come when the kingdom comes in power. The strength to carry your cross will come when the kingdom comes in power. The ability to follow me as your king will come when the Spirit comes and brings the kingdom in power. It is impossible. The cross is far too heavy a load for any one of us to bear without the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. You know this just in the last week, how difficult it was just to, to activate those little steps of repentance and obedience. Well, we were on our own, we were frustrated about something, we gave in to gossiping, we were lusting after something, we were coveting other people's goods, and, and just those little steps of obedience is difficult, no, impossible if we're not resting in, leaning on, empowered by the Holy Spirit. How much more? How much more impossible the whole life of a Christian to take up your cross, leave behind your earthly glory, and follow Jesus? It's impossible. But the kingdom has come in power and we have been infilled and we have received that very ability to do what Jesus has commanded. So we then see this, the, the transfiguration happen. Jesus said, I, I'm going to, the kingdom is going to come with power. You'll be in it. You'll be able to do what I've commanded. And then he gives them a glimpse, a glorious glimpse of what will be theirs. This is, this is a call to endurance for these inner three disciples. James, John, and Peter. They were Jesus' inner three. They, they got to see things, hear things, go with him and witness things that others didn't. They were his inner three, Peter, James, and John. James would be the first apostle to be killed. John would be the last, and Peter will find himself somewhere in the middle. These were the three leaders of the apostles, but they will also be the three foremost sufferers. And Jesus is going to encourage them by by calling them in to witness what they're about to see in the transfiguration. He's going to encourage them towards endurance. He's calling them to come and see what the Father does to those who suffer. So look, we'll read again in verse two and three. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured them. That word transfigured is what we get our English word uh, for metamorphosis. When a, when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, it, it doesn't change what it is and who it is, but it changes how it appears, what form it is in. It changes form, transfiguration. His figure changed before them and his clothes became radiant, shining intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. No one on earth could could create something that is not just white, but shiningly white. This is what Jesus appeared before them. And and this was a a call to them, an example of, and a call to them to follow his example through endurance. How difficult it is. How often we fall and we we fail in the walk of the Christian life. Even just sitting here, we've all, looking back on our last week, month, last time you you came to church since then, you've just blundered all the way along. You, you, you didn't speak up for Christ when you could have. You didn't uh, defend somebody's reputation when you ought to have. You, you, you've you done all of these things that you know are faithless towards Jesus Christ. And maybe even there's been opportunities to suffer that you did not take. Maybe there was, there was a, a, a times that Jesus called you to make a sacrifice, which you were not willing to do. And friends, if we would just keep our minds fixed on the shining glory of Jesus that is also to be ours in the future, those steps of difficulty that we need to make become all the more easier. When our mind is set on the things of God, not on the things of man, we can follow in that path of Jesus. How, how short-sighted we are when we forget that Jesus' glory will also be our glory when he comes back. How often we buck and complain and whine against God's providence for our life. Sufferings he takes us through. Blessings we don't get while others do. Bitter, bitter things that people around us are saying or heaping onto us, saying about us. We, we buck against that. It's something we don't deserve that, that we ought to complain about. We do that when we forget that when Christ appears, that glory will be our glory. Colossians Chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears again, then you also will appear with him in glory. How much of the Christian life will fall directly into line when we fix our mind on that? When Christ, who is our life, appears. Whatever I've lost in this life, whatever I've suffered in this life, whatever I've gone without and put behind me in this life, when Christ, who is my life, appears. I will be with him in that selfsame glory. The disciples would have been encouraged by this if they had been awake. But Luke's gospel tells us that they were asleep at this point and that they were woken up somehow by the by the noise and the bright light. They were they were tr- reaching for the snooze button. They were annoyed that somebody turned the lights on while they were having a good doze and there was Jesus shining brightly before them. But when they did wake When they did wake, they experienced the father's voice and the father's love towards his son. So so look at verse 4. In verse 4 through to verse 13, we're going to see the father's love to his son shown. Verse 4 says, And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Wouldn't you love to be in on that conversation? Well, Luke's gospel tells us that what they were talking about was the exodus that jesus was about to activate in jerusalem the exodus the great the great salvation the great leaving the great leading his people to salvation that jesus was about to accomplish in jerusalem they were talking to him encouraging him about the cross And as we see elijah and moses here you've got to wonder why these guys there's there's a whole bunch of Old Testament guys that could have popped back. Did they sort of roll the dice? Did they have a wrestling match in heaven for who got to come back and get the VIP seats? How did they decide? Well, Moses and Elijah are, 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 are symbols of everything God has said in the Old Testament. If you read your Bible, you'll frequently come across the, the phrase, the law and the prophets. Is what Jesus frequently recaps the Old Testament as, the law and the Given through Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophets summarize the rest. This is how the Jews would speak of the Old Testament, or to them, the scriptures, the law, and the prophets. And here, standing next to Jesus, either side of him, is a symbol of the law, Moses, and a symbol of Elijah, a symbol of the prophets, Elijah. And there they are, bearing witness to him, as if to say, We said many things in the law, and we said many things throughout the prophets, but the culmination of the word, the the full revelation of what God would say to man, it is summed up in Jesus as the message of salvation for sinners. Don't run to the law for obedience to try and make your way to the Father. That road is blocked by your incompetence and sin. Don't run through the prophets to try and... Find a mystical way to the Father. It's not going to happen. If you want your way to God, there is one way that the law points you to, that the prophets point you to, and it's through the free salvation of grace in Jesus. He is the fullness of the message. If you could, if you could take up the word of God and, and, and melt it down, you would have Jesus. If, if you could, could boil off all of the pages and all of the matter and just have an essence of what the scripture is, it would be Jesus. If you could put the word of God and turn it into a person with arms and legs, it would be Jesus. He is the word incarnate. What they spoke about, he is. We get an idea of this in John chapter 1. You can turn there or you can allow me to read it. John chapter 1, he says... Very much the same thing. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or that word is actually tabernacled among us. The tabernacle where they worship, the shining glorious place. That's what he did among us. I think John is looking back to the transfiguration at that point. He tabernacled among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and grace and truth verse 18 no one has ever seen god the only god who is at the father's side has made him known jesus has made known through his revelation what the prophets what the law and what every bit of scripture was pointing to the glory of god shines brightest in the face of jesus christ but it goes on they they were of course the, the revealers who would point to him, Elijah and Moses, but they'd each also had their own mountaintop experiences. Remember Moses' experience when he went up into Mount Sinai and the, the cloud was all around them and the lightning was flashing and God was booming his voice to him and gave him the Ten Commandments. At another point, he, he, he put Moses into the cleft of a rock, And God's glory, just the hind part so that Moses' face didn't melt off, sort of just passed by. And he got a little glimpse of the glory of God. And coming down the mountain, he was shining in his face. And then we can remember Elijah when when he had uh, gone up onto the mountain and battled the, the prophets of Baal when they had those sacrifices. And he said, if your God's real, he's not relieving himself at the moment, then you guys call down fire, burn your sacrifice, and I'll call God to to bring fire down and burn my sacrifice. And and they had challenged each other, and the, the Baal gods, of course, are no gods, and were held on a very tight leash by the Father at that point and were sent yapping, and Elijah called down fire and burned up everything, including the other sacrifice, and then he hacked the false prophets to pieces. Quite a glorious experience. I like that story. Both of them, an enormous, glorious picture of God coming in power on top of a mountain. And here again they were on the mountain with Jesus. And they also, each of them, played a part in in bringing Israel away from idolatry. Moses, when he came down from the mountain, he found them worshipping the calf and he cut it to pieces, he ground it to dirt, and he threw it into the water and made them drink their own idols. Have that. And then Elijah, he had also been instrumental in, as we said, destroying the Baal worshippers in Israel. And here they were, the true God in true flesh. The one thing you can look at in creation and truly worship God is Jesus. Elijah and Moses bearing witness that this was the culmination of the word of God in Jesus. And then you also see from God's voice, we see that Jesus is not just the message, but he is himself the climactic messenger. In verse 7 we read, A cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. This cloud all throughout the Old Testament, this this cloud of God's presence symbolized that God was coming to a point. He he came in a cloud onto Mount Sinai. He he led the, the Jews through the desert with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The presence of God came upon that place twofold now. I mean, Jesus was there shining, and now the Father descends picturing through a, through a cloud. And that's when Peter and James and John are, 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 are tuned in. Peter was trying, to, was trying to talk, and God the Father just shuts him up, interrupts him. Uh, one of the other Gospels tell us that while he was still speaking, the Father had the audacity to interrupt Peter. Jesus has already done this. Peter's getting real sick of all of this being interrupted by the Trinity business. He's really, really quite annoyed that they're not listening to more of his suggestions. But the father interrupts and says, this is my son. Elijah and Moses had both experienced this same thing. The cloud on Sinai and Elijah had been on another mountain after he'd fled from the presence of Queen Jezebel. He ran away from this woman because he was afraid she was going to hurt him. Like He just butchered all the prophets. Now he's afraid of this chick. He runs. He flees. He's in the desert. And God comes to the mountain in a fire and a storm and an earthquake. And then he comes in a small, still whispering voice to encourage Elijah. And here is God's voice. And God's voice comes to encourage the son, to bear witness to the son, to say, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Not only is he the message, he is the messenger. It is, the gospel is about him and it is from his lips. God is saying to Peter, to those disciples, Jesus didn't need to hear it. They needed to hear it. We need to hear it. Do not listen to the scribes, the, 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 the experts of the day who will tell you what the scriptures really mean. No, listen to him, Jesus. Jesus. Don't listen to the Pharisees, the, the, the religious popular people who, who are always in bed with the politicians who have very uh, uh, mixed motives, shall we say. Don't listen to them, listen to him. Do not listen to the other disciples. James, John, you should learn by now, don't listen to Peter. Don't do that. Peter, don't listen to Peter. Friends, don't listen to yourself or your friends where there is contradiction with Jesus. Listen to to Jesus. Do not listen to Herod, the authority of the day, carrying the sword and threatening your life, Peter, James, and John. Listen to Jesus. Do not listen even to your own heart's temptations. Don't follow your heart. Follow the words of Jesus, this word boomed out through the cloud. If you were to listen to the prophets if you're to listen to the law, and if you're to listen to the apostles, what we are really doing is listening to Jesus whose word is through all of those messengers. What would God say from heaven today? I wonder if you've ever read this sort of thing and maybe from a church background who really emphasise the miraculous, the experiential, the things coming out of the sky, the heavenly stuff. You're really big on that and you've often wondered or prayed or maybe coveted other people's experiences where they heard voices Most of the time, it's total garbage. Just going to throw that one out there. Sorry if you believed it. Also, WWE is fake. That's about as equally uh, provable to me, both of those things. But anyway, you you want to sit there and wonder, what would God say? Like, we really prayed ourselves up if the spirit was really moving and God was going to boom something from heaven today. What would it be? What would the message for the church be? the message for the church leaders? What do we need to hear? It would be, listen, listen to my son, or in other words, read your Bible. That's the message of God. And every day, in every age, to every person, listen to the son of God, whose, whose messengers have culminated by the spirit, the word of God in perfection. This is the words of Jesus. Listen to him. And then we see that the father's love to his son is shown through reminding him. Jesus, Jesus is a man. He, he is truly God and he is truly man. We know that sometimes he gets weary. Sometimes he weeps in depression. Sorrow overcomes him. Hunger makes him need to stop and rest. And at this point, I think that he also needed a reminder, an encouragement to endure and go on that as Jesus was experiencing this, he himself in his human nature was being reminded of what was to come in glory. And by teaching the disciples what what the prophets say about Elijah and John the Baptist, he is also reminded of what is to come in the cross and that it's perfectly ordained by God. So read with me in verse 11 to 13, that as the crucifixion is in sight, as Jesus has now finished all of that, he's coming down the mountain He's remembering what is to come in the future. He's reminded of the glory that is to be his because of the Father's promises. And he is reminded that nothing will happen to him except for exactly what the scriptures have said long ago. It happens this way the, the disciples were coming down. Jesus said, Don't tell anybody about this. It'll be misunderstood. That's not your job at the moment. Write about it, preach about it after I've been resurrected. And so they kept it to themselves, and they were questioning what he meant by resurrection, coming back from the dead, still lost on them. But in that conversation, they would have been asking, what just happened? What did we see? Why was Elijah there? Hey, the scribes say something about Elijah coming back. Doesn't Malachi say something about Elijah coming back before the Messiah's kingdom coming? Let's ask Jesus. Hey, Jesus, what do the scribes mean when they say, Elijah must come first? And Jesus starts pulling apart the prophets and says, it's true they say that Elijah must come and they say that the Messiah must suffer and die and let me tell you one thing Elijah has come it was John the Baptist they come to understand this John the Baptist was he who came in the spirit and power of Elijah that Malachi had prophesied that Elijah would come back the Old Testament prophet would come back and he would put the nation right. He would bring widespread repentance and restore righteousness and bring families back together to be prepared for the Messiah to come. And Jesus said that happened. That happened through the preaching, the baptizing, the ministry of John the Baptist. It's true. There's not a single thing spoken about the coming Elijah who was John the Baptist that did not happen. The word of God is always going to be fulfilled Let me remind you what else the Word of God says, that the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Christ, will suffer many things and die. How encouraging that would have been to his own soul to remember that. Yes, John the Baptist was like Elijah in his ministry. And then he says, but John the Baptist is like the Messiah in his suffering. For they did to him exactly what was prophesied of them. I tell you that Elijah has come, verse 13, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as is written of him that he came in this miraculous, marvelous, amazing, although there was no true miracles, but the spiritually revivaling work that he came and did, but they did to him what was prophesied. They took him. He was arrested by the powers that be. They mocked him, the spiritual leaders did, and he ended up losing his head. So Jesus would be reminding himself in this moment. What was written of him happened. What was written of Elijah happened, and what was written of me must happen happen how willingly he was therefore going how encouraged he was now resting on the word of god hearing the booming voice of his father he was willing to go to the cross and then and then we come down the hill and he sees an amazing crowd that we we just saw that god loves his son and he's the culmination of the message of the old testament and he loves his son and he is the one to whom everyone must listen And he loves his son and therefore encourages him that nothing will befall him. Nothing will happen to him outside of God's sovereign will. And then he comes down the hill. And it's Christ's turn to love the sufferers. Just as Moses had come down from the glory on the mountain and seen the people worshipping the calf. Just as Elijah had come down from the mountain and then fled at the threats of Jezebel. So Jesus comes down the mountain and finds what? He's faithless, powerless, petty disciples arguing with some scribes, probably about their own pride, their own reputation, why they couldn't toss the demon out of this child. Meanwhile, child is suffering with demonic oppression. There's a crowd. They're all here. The crowd is there, and they come running at Jesus, amazed at him, and they're wondering what he will do. And we see through verse 14 that the father, uh, sorry, through verse 17, that the father tells him, that my son is mute, Jesus confirms later, he's also deaf and and, and there's some kind of epileptic uh, 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 thing going on that he he has fits, he foams, he throws his head against the ground, this child would have brain damage, he would have scars all over his body from being thrown into the fire, thrown into the water. This child was suffering. And Jesus, never has there been a more striking contrast occurring than this. The glory of the transfiguration coming down to this, a demonic oppression. Where we had just seen the the all-consuming glory of Jesus, the shining manifestation of the glory of Jesus. Now we see a pernicious, corrupting manifestation of the power of Satan. And we see these two worlds collide. And Jesus relates to sinners around him. Both the father, the demon-possessed boy, and his disciples. We'll go through how he witnesses to each of them relates to each of them and then we will close. For the Father, he encourages his faith. The Father is here, He's, he's crying out. He's asking that Jesus would help. He says, "If you can do anything, have compassion on us. An earlier point in the gospel, somebody had said to Jesus, "I know you're able, but do you want to help?" And Jesus obviously said, "I'm, I'm willing, I'm here and be healed." But to this man, he is saying, I know you want to, you seem like a nice guy, but can you? I mean, if you're able, he, he's just been six days now trying to get the disciples to be able to heal and they couldn't. Maybe this sort of demon is just, it's undoable and he's, he's drained of all of his hope. I've tried everything, Jesus. I've come to you, it's failed so far. If you can, will you? And Jesus says, if I can. oh, my power is unlimited. I can do anything, Jesus is saying, but, but I do for people what they believe me able to do. He says, do you really think that, I, that I'm, I'm, I'm limited here? I'm, I'm trying my hardest, but I won't be able to do it? No, I can do anything for someone who has the confidence to ask. And, and before he's even finished, the father's crying out. Immediately the word is, he's crying out then. I believe, but help my unbelief, he cries out. In the midst of this demonic manifestation, the child is on the ground thrashing and foaming and receiving concussions and suffering, and Jesus is conversing with the Father about his use of words. Kind of like if if any of you went through primary school with smart aleck English teachers like I did, and you put your hand up in the back of the... Can I please go to the toilet? And they say, I don't know, can you? What you mean is, may you. And they have a chuckle. They think they've taught me something. I remember it today and they were right. And, and, and you feel like if I was hanging off a cliff and I called out, can you please help me? And it was your English teacher. They'd say, I can. <laughs> and let you fall. Well, like they're going to they're gonna focus on my words, right, at this moment. And Jesus is doing this. A child is thrashing and banging on the ground with demonic screams coming out of it. And he says to the man, hang on, shh, did you say, can I? I would, I would prefer a, a better ask here. But what Jesus is doing, right on the back of his glorious manifestation, that doesn't distract him to demand something more than helping a hurting father. Seeing this urgency of the child does not distract him from the need to help the father as well. Jesus demands that this blessing would have its ultimate effect, its maximal effect. He doesn't just want to heal the son. He wants to increase the faith of the father. And so the prayer of the father becomes twofold not just help my son but help my belief and my lack of belief and at that Jesus is willing to answer both I will heal your faith and bring it to strength and I will bring about deliverance for the boy how much do we need to hear this that sometimes Jesus leaves us begging crying screaming out to him because in those moments we lose more of the flesh We lose more of our worldliness. We lose more of our setting our minds on the things on earth and we see what really matters in those moments of weakness. God is making our faith strong. He does that to the Father. I'll heal your boy, but I'll heal you as well. And so then we see him deliver the boy from Satan. Verse 25 and onwards shows to us what he does, that he commands the spirit decisively, leave him, do not come back, I command you, never enter him again. And he, he convulses and he bangs and foams and he dies as the spirit leaves. Or so they thought. I think that Jesus saw in this family, the father and the son, a parallel of his own relationship with the father. I think that Jesus, touching his human nature, saw a parallel for his own life. For here he heard the boy's father complain that from his childhood, the evil one has been seeking to destroy him, throwing him in the fire, throwing him in the water, and always we can assume the father was there to deliver him. So Jesus could relate that since he was just an infant, the world, through the evil one, has been seeking to destroy his life. But the father has delivered him. And here he's seeing a father cry out, this is my beloved son, listen to him. He's crying, listen, help him. And Jesus can see a parallel of himself and the father. This is my beloved son, listen to him. He does not cry for help. He commands a blessing and gives out grace that Jesus could see this. He could see a father's love breaking out through this man's cries and prayers. And he knew what it was to be loved by and delivered by a father in times of need. And he would be reminded that in his time of great need, under the the foot and under the hand and under the sting of death by the devil, Jesus would be delivered. The story goes, Jesus heals him, but everybody looks at him and says he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Jesus also would be delivered to the hand of the evil one under the wrath of God, in punitive justice, punishment and wrath. And everyone would say, he is dead. But the Father would take him by his hand and lift him up and Jesus will arise. Knowing all that the Father would do for Jesus, knowing all of his resurrection coming, his ascension and his glory that he just saw a glimpse of on the mountain, he was able then to come down into the pit of this world, take up his cross, follow the father and die to himself in help to these sufferers. And he ministers to him through total healing. What a day of deliverance this family had had. But Jesus isn't finished yet because he has one more group to minister to. And it's not quite going to be as soft. It's not quite going to be as, as tender and loving and, and, and as much of a joyful little blessing because now he's got to deal with his disciples who let this child suffer longer than necessary. Now he's got to deal with his disciples who are, who are going to ask this question. As, as we see, they ask when they go into the house, Jesus, why could we not cast that demon out? And I've heard this preached on in so many different ways to say that there's just some demons out there. Now, this much I agree with. There are, there are hierarchies in the demonic realm as there is in the angelic realm. There are, there are low-level demons that will flee at the name of Jesus and others which take ministry of prayer To overcome but what this is usually applied as is you need some kind of extreme elongated fasting praying anointing strapping them onto a table this is this is some kind of exorcism ministry clue here that Jesus is giving us it is nothing of the sort it's a rebuke of the most simple means of grace and spiritual disciplines he's saying to his disciples something that was totally within their reach all you had to do was pray That's all. The the ones who came with me up the mountain were sleeping instead of praying while I was praying. I'm I'm not going to venture a guess that you guys, without me watching, were much more diligent. No. The demon could have been cast out. All you had to do was pray. What a... What a, what a rebuke. They had not even been walking in after all these calls to discipleship. is teaching them how to pray and all of that. They could not even give up a few moments to pray. They were trying to live on yesterday's strength. You know, a couple months ago when Jesus sent them out with power to do demon castings and all that sort of stuff. They just assuming that they had an anointing. They could keep on doing it. Nope. Simple spiritual discipline. Disciples, prayer. And you couldn't even do that. That's why he comes down and he looks at his disciples. See, he knew what the demon was doing. He knew what it was going to take. And he could see that they couldn't cast it out. And so he rebuked them through diagnostics and said, you faithless generation. How much am I going to do with, deal with you? How much longer must I put up with your prayerlessness, your faithlessness? The answer is not long. For soon the kingdom of God will come in its power and you weak, failing, prayerless disciples will become a praying group empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth at the cost of your own life. But until then, I will put up with you. Bring me the Son. Jesus, (coughs) unlike Moses who comes down from the mountain and issues punishment, Jesus, unlike Moses who comes down and breaks the, the tablets of stone in anger, Jesus ministers in patience and in mercy, he commands them. He reminds them how within their reach, the ministry that he had just done was. He goes on and as we will see, he will go on next week to remind them again of his death and his resurrection. We have two key applications to take today. First of all, we're going to look in Second Peter chapter 1 and then we will close. First application is this, that Peter, in all of his marvel, and all of his amazing experience of the transfiguration, he wrote that when we received honor and glory from God the Father, this is verse 17, 2 Peter chapter 1, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. When we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain, he's recounting the transfiguration but he says we have something more sure the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention peter writes in the earlier part of that chapter he's saying i'm gonna die what can i do to keep the church on message on mission and in obedience what can i do i know how easily distracted we are from the cross what can i do i will not point you to the transfiguration i will not pray that you get to experience things like the transfiguration what we have is a more sure word this this word the apostolic writing is what we will do well to pay attention to friend whatever sickness difficulty trial affliction temptation whatever you're going through the word of god is sufficient to make you upright holy and joyful The word of God is powerful. It is where God has invested his spiritual work. Go to it like a hungry, panting deer. Lap it up. Feed in the word day by day. It is our sustenance. And lastly, I need to ask you, have you listened to the Son? Have you turned to Jesus Christ for salvation? If you are today still in your sin, you have not come and bent your knee before the Lordship of Jesus if you have not yet brought your life to be forgiven, your sin to be taken away, if you have not yet subjected yourself to the lordship of Jesus, then you are still in your sin and you are without an atonement. You're like the boy still convulsing in the the throes of satanic lifestyle. You need Jesus to deliver you, but your father can't bring you. Your mother can't bring you. Your friends cannot carry you. No one can make you bend at the foot of Jesus except for the Holy Spirit. You must do it. You must be born again. You must believe in Jesus Christ for salvation or there is no blessing in him for you. Believe Jesus. Receive his death in your place. Receive his life as your seal for eternal life. Repent of your sins and trust him that by his spirit he will carry you along the long, hard road of victorious Christian living towards the cross. Believe today and let's all pray to that end. Bow your heads with me, my friends. Father God, we pray. We pray that the glory of Jesus would be imprinted on our minds, that the transfiguration as blinding, as radiant as it was, it does not compare to the cross For the cross is the convergence of all of your attributes, your justice and your mercy, your wrath and your love, your sovereignty and your care for us, God. We see in the cross the full revelation of who Jesus is, our mediator, our priest and our prophet and our king who dies for us, bleeds for us, leads us by example. Father God, I pray that we would would have minds that are conformed to the image of Christ, so that we may live lives like him. Give us holiness, give us power over sin, give us a reliance on the Holy Spirit. Lord, you are our rock that we rely upon. You are our rock that we build our life upon. We thank you for this more sure word. And God, we thank you for your mercy. That even as as you were glorious before your incarnation, Lord Jesus, yet you came down to us to minister. And as you were shining up on the mountain and you came down to the valley to minister to that poor boy, would you, Lord, send your mercy again today to minister to young, old, lost hearts today, whether they have been churchgoers or they've never been at church before, whether they're children or teenagers or old folk, Lord, whoever they are, if they are outside of your salvation, Jesus, would you tend to them? Would you bring them in? Would you heal them? Would you cast out their sin? Would you make them righteous in your own blood? Save souls today for your own name's sake, for your own glory and the glory of your Father. Lord, we love you. We seek to be more faithful disciples. And everybody who agreed said, Amen.